You're listening to Episode 5 of MSP Survivalist. Real talk from the experts. Helping technology providers to survive modern threats and challenges. And that brings me to today's topic, which is selling managed services, including managed backup services. And that's got me really excited about our guest that we have with us today, Brian Gillette. He's the former VP of sales at an MSP. He's an MSP consultant, and he's the founder of Feel Good MSP. Out there helping MSPs one-on-one to qualify and close more business. Did I get that right, Brian? Does that kind of sound like what you're doing out there? (laughs) Yeah, you nailed it. That's me. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Sean. You know, I'm excited to talk to you. Myself, I'm from a marketing and technology background, most recently working with Nova Backup, who has a platform for MSPs to deliver managed backup services. So that's kind of like the standpoint that I come from. I was, I kind of first recognized what you're doing from some of your LinkedIn videos and as well as some of the articles that you've got out there on mspgrowthhacks.com. Yeah, maybe you could give us just like a, a little bit of background about yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I've been in sales for 12 years and I've been in MSP sales. I was a VP of sales, as you mentioned, for three years for an MSP in Southern California. And before that, I had almost no IT experience. Well, that's not true. I temped for a help desk for Carl's Jr. (laughs) for two months once. Uh, But that's my IT. That was my only IT experience. But yeah, we, Mm -hmm. we grew that MSP to over 2 million annual recurring revenue with essentially no marketing budget. And then in back in 2020, uh, I started my company I have now, Feel Good MSP. So I do sort of revenue ops and sales consulting for kind of low one to three million MSPs, especially the MSPs trying to get over that $3 million mark, but I help uh, organizations either create sales process or accelerate their results from their existing sales investments. Very cool. I was reading today about a recent report that came out talking about uh, 60% of organizations expected to be dependent on MSPs by 2025. And I thought that was kind of an interesting statistic. So, I mean, basically, the need for managed services is growing by leaps and bounds. There's tons of opportunity out there. But I've witnessed, I'm sure you have two MSPs that are kind of struggling. It seems like a number of them are just kind of stretched too thin. They're working extremely hard, especially this one in you know, small shops of, you know, the one to ten employee kind of shops or people it seems like they're working all the time and I think it's kind of hard for them to take a step yeah. take a step back and like see themselves from kind of an outside perspective and so that's why I thought like some of the stuff that you're doing is is really kind of cool yeah you, you know I think it's it's worth mentioning 60% of organizations to depend on managed services uh, what that tells me is sort of the narrative that we have seen since I think like the 2015, 2016, when like managed services started to become more than just a marketing term. It actually kind of started to mean something a little bit in our industry, mm-hmm. but the growth opportunity for MSPs is not going away. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think we have, I think we have a solid five to 10 year bullish run of double digit growth opportunity for managed services is still in front of us. Wow. And I say that not just because I'm a salesperson and that's what I want to have happen, but because people can increasingly, they cannot conduct business without IT. That's true. And more and more businesses are becoming 
uh, it's so dependent on us that MSP outsourcing, it's like, it's faster than accounting outsourcing. I mean, people are outsourcing to IT so fast because we know, all know there's a, an amazing sort of case study, financial case that you can make for leveraging decades of IT experience through an MSP rather than hiring a deep six-figure CTO to sit around and then give you recommendations. So, I mean, the opportunity to get new managed service business is not going away. Mm -hmm. And people's ability to sell should not, they should not be deterred that the marketplace is going to make it too hard to sell managed services. If you're not selling managed services, it just means you need a new strategy. It's mm -hmm. not because the opportunity isn't there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it goes without saying just the transformation of the workplace over the last couple, two, three years. I mean, in a way, it really has created opportunity for managed service providers. It's really mixed up how IT is delivered, how IT is managed. It's, it's really been an interesting test of flexibility, you know, in the industry, especially for system administrators and so forth to keep up with kind of the changing workplace and employees being in different locations and, and having to be managed from, from that perspective. It's been really interesting. Obviously with our topic being growing sales and managed services, identifying your prospect, your client, I think is really important. I, I wrote a recent blog post a little bit uh, touching on this. But it really came from a previous podcast episode where we had an MSP, a dental MSP, on board with us talking a little bit about that. And that was a big one for him was making sure you're not wasting time on chasing down prospects that might not be the right fit. I think there may be a tendency for MSPs that are just kind of in the thick of it, you know, they're in the zone and they have an, what looks like an opportunity come at them and it's maybe just reaction to want to jump at that sales opportunity, but it might not be the, always be the wisest choice when it comes to identifying the right kind of customer. Do you have any experience with maybe seeing MSPs make some mismatches there? Yeah, I, I think you're you're really onto something there. That a lot of MSPs, especially in the in the mid six figure, like the low six figure mark, I found where the owner is still basically doing everything. Right. What we see is a business owner working, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour days, six, seven days a week. And then when they have no opportunities to go out and find sales, even if they had the skills, like they don't have any time because they're so busy running and trying to, to keep their existing customers happy. But I think what you actually have there is that your busyness, your severe busyness is oftentimes a symptom. It's not just the cause. It's actually a symptom mm -hmm. of a bad sales process. Mm -hmm. Because if your sales process says, we'll do anything for anybody with a computer, <laughs> Well, every single customer, you have to create new SOPs. You have to like add new things to your tech stack or you have to learn, well, they don't want us to use, we have to use Splashtop in this environment and we have to use Screen Connect in this environment and we're just going direct HTML5 in this environment and they all want different things because they already bought Screen Connect in 2013 and they wanted us to use it to save them $4 a month. <laughs> like if you, are, if you are taking any old customers that will come around, mm -hmm. what you're actually doing is dooming yourself to mm -hmm. stay busy forever. Right. Right, because the only way to have enough time to do business development is to standardize your business practices. So what we have, what we see there is that a bad sales process is actually the cause of bad operations quite a bit in the early days. So I, I think you, you, you nailed it, like finding the right companies, the right IT companies that 
will be able to be well supported based off of your existing process, Mm -hmm. your existing tech stack. Find those people so that you can bring them on without a tremendous amount of uh, lift you know, on your side. Mm-hmm. And then what you can do with all that remaining energy is go out and continue to f- refine your business and find new customers. Absolutely. Yeah. I think refining what you have to offer and keeping that focused, right. And then matching the customers to that. And I, I think there's that whole discovery process where maybe you're finding each other a little bit and whether or not this is going to be a relationship that is a good fit or not, like any relationship. Yeah, I always say, um, don't try to be something for everybody as an MSP. Definitely agree. You need to be everything for somebody. You need to be the perfect selection for a really, really specific niche. And that's the way not only to become a competitive option in a really, really competitive industry, right? Saturated industry. But that's also your way of protecting yourself from diversifying your focus and your energy too far around too wide and and various of a customer base. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, whether it's dental or medical or manufacturing, we've seen a lot of different specializations out there, but look at the customers that are kind of naturally coming to you, that are naturally a good fit. There always seems to be my experience talking to smaller MSPs that are successful, they're getting a lot of word of mouth referrals. Maybe their maybe their number one biggest source is referrals, and so that kind of creates a, a fairly defined network of customers. And I think if MSPs can start by analyzing that natural flow of who's coming to them, they can really help them define their services and help them define their ideal customers a little bit better. And being a marketing guy myself, you know, I always have to recommend that when MSPs are delivering their their pitch. I call it a pitch, but I'm really just talking about a marketing message that they're delivering out to the world that everybody understands it very clearly, is able to explain it very clearly, that their pricing is and their packages are fairly simple. <laughs> I'm not asking you to um, give away all of your, your uh, excellent uh, consulting services here or anything like that, <laughs> but do you see mistakes that they're making in terms of how they're explaining what they have to offer to the world? Yeah, um, I mean, I have no problem giving away the farm uh, because (laughs) it's actually a lot easier to talk about it than to do it, first of all, right? Um, It's a lot easier to make a great plan. And in some Mm -hmm. ways I kind of have an easy job of just telling people things that they probably already know (laughs) in interviews like these, right? It's like, we all know we should be clearer, Mm -hmm. but then we go out and write a message that's super vague and we Mm -hmm. went, we go, okay, well, I did it. But getting a clear message is, I think absolutely the number one goal. You asked what mistakes are MSPs making? I've never seen any company in history that doesn't make mistakes in their marketing message. Mm. Every single company, including mine, says things that are probably not perfect. Sure. So one of the mistakes is that MSPs will actually stop themselves from iterating because of a sort of analysis paralysis. Well, it's not perfect and therefore I'm just gonna keep what I've always had. And so they're afraid to try new things because they're afraid that it's not going to be good enough or they're not sure what's going to happen. I think in the early stages, especially if if you don't have massive brand recognition, like, Mm -hmm. and you have less than, you know, 20 customers, what do you have to lose? I mean, iterate like a crazy person. Sure. Split test everything. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, try a new message once a, I don't know, once a month when you're Mm -hmm. on your outbound stuff and just try new stuff. 
I think that, that analysis paralysis is a common mistake, but then really the number one mistake is that everybody starts with a canned syndicated template and then they don't ever actually adapt it. Right. So, you know, as a person who sells to MSPs, I have been on literally thousands of MSPs websites. Mm-hmm. And if I had a quarter for every time somebody's website said, we focus on the technology so you can focus on the business, mm-hmm. I would be a freaking no <laughs> Because everybody uses that canned tagline. And here's the thing, it from the outside, it's like, it sounds right. It sounds, it sounds outcome-based. It sounds clear, but it isn't clear. What does focusing on the technology mean? Right. What does that mean? So if I'm a buyer, right? If I'm, if I'm, you know this as a marketing guy, if I'm analyzing that line, we'll focus on the technology so you can focus on running the business. Here's my first question. What does focusing on the technology mean? What does it get me? Why do I need you to do it? How does it enable me to focus on the business? What does focusing on the business mean? That's a good point. How is my life going to be different because you're looking at my computer? What are you going to help me achieve? Right? So the big fallacy in marketing and in messaging is to have process-based messaging, process-based deliverables. Like we will give you a 32-point IT checklist. Nobody cares at all what your checklist is. <laughs> they wanna know what's my life gonna be like when I've completed the 32-point checklist? Mm-hmm. What kind of car am I gonna drive? Am I gonna be better looking? <laughs> am I gonna be more wealthy? Am I gonna be more important? Are my kids gonna like me more? Are my competitors gonna be jealous of me? Am I gonna have better employees? Am I gonna have better employer? What happens to me after I work with you and why? that's why it matters, right? Sure. Um, what's my life going to be like after it's been engaged by you? That's really the message you need to send. And it can't just be, you know, oh, you'll get rid of your IT frustrations. I mean, artificial intelligence could do that, mm-hmm. right? Why should they pay you $200 a seat to do something that Clippy could have done? <laughs> remember? <laughs> remember oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's got to be concrete. We're, you're talking about committing budget, right? They're committing their IT budget. Oftentimes, they're coming from other MSPs or other IT providers. So I think... There's definitely a lot of clarity that can be added to the explanation of, of, of services that are being delivered by MSPs. I always tell MSPs to be helpful, yeah. not to give away our services to everyone, but getting the right piece of information to the right people at the right time creates incredible opportunities. That's the way I look at it. And your point of contact is you know, struggling with a... I don't know, a data storage issue and you deliver to him, you know, you can send over to him the article that gets him moving in the right direction, whether or not it's related to you. You know, that's kind of part of that whole trust building process, I think, really creating that business relationship to where even if they're not ready for your services now, you're kind of setting yourself up because they probably will become (laughs) unhappy with uh, one of their IT services at some point. Just the fact that things are changing so rapidly. Yeah, that's a great, I love being in conversations with marketing people because marketing people and salespeople, we have this fun like front of house, back of house kind of banter where um, of course like it would be it would be completely counterproductive to say that you can have one without the other. 
Because if you have marketing, but you have no sales process, what I, I call that the top funnel fallacy. The, the, the belief that in order to grow my business, I just need to get more leads. Mm. And my question becomes, okay, buddy, you have a great lead in front of you. What are you going to do with it? Now what? Yeah. Okay, a lead gets in front of you, picks up the phone and says, I heard you're a great man service provider. Can you tell me what your rates are? If you don't have a really great process mm -hmm. for how to turn that conversation into a customer, then you did not need a lead. That lead was the same as nothing. You, know? <laughs> you need to build a funnel before you feed the top of it. Like you have to have sales process. But then of course, sitting around being the best closer in the world, but you're too afraid to go and talk to anybody and nobody knows who you are and nobody has any trust with you is just as fruitless. Like you have to have both. Yes. You know, what you're talking about, what, what is it? One to 3% of your target audience is in a buying position, right? Mm-hmm. Like most of them are not actually in a position to buy. So I, th I think you're absolutely right. It doesn't mean you just only talk to the people who are red hot ready to buy because we're, we're entering this age where we have to create so much value and there's so many people fighting for awareness that it's the reason mattress companies have sign spinners on corners because you buy a mattress once every five to 10 years, but you've been looking at this dude do backflips on the street corner, <laughs> you know, every Friday. And so that awareness, that nurturing is there. And I think it's really important. Absolutely. I, I'm not deeply involved with the sales. I'm more personally focused on on the messaging and getting, like I said, valuable content, whether that's an article, whether it's a case study, whether it's a um, you know, video explaining how to do something, kind of keeping that consistency, uh, those touches to the prospect or the customer, if it's support. You know, is the two sides of it, right? There's retaining and keeping happy the customers you got, which is just as important as bringing on new customers. Right. I mean, if you're losing one and gaining one, you're not growing. Right. So right. can I ask you a question? Absolutely. How do you feel about syndicated marketing content? Uh, I think there's a place for it. I'll always advocate for the more personal marketing, wherever you can find that. If you can utilize some services out there and there's more every day to reach out to more people, even if it's part of networking, part of your business development creating those kind of connections that are going to ultimately generate more business for you. Of course, there's a huge range in quality as to what is out there, but some of them are very specialized and uh, I think they can definitely work for you. Yeah, well put. I think I would agree largely with what you just said. I think what I tell MSPs who are either making investments in this or considering investments in this is I think these can be really great supplemental tools to your sort of business development. I don't think that they are a great foundation. No, I don't think so. Right? Like if the only thing you're doing to grow your business is buying blogs from somebody else, like mm -hmm. your business is not going to grow. And the, the proof is in sure. the pudding there. Like the, the, the proof, the, the reason I say that is because of all of the times I've seen people post every day for years and get zero leads from it. Sure. But if you're looking to, look, I can't sit here and write articles all day and I can get an article that's been SEO optimized and I can link it in a newsletter for people who've already opted in. Now it's like, okay, now we're talking about value that people wanted, mm -hmm. <laughs> that people said they wanted to read or said they wanted to get in their inbox. But now I'm, I'm leveraging other people's writing and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it could be great, but... Would yeah, you, I, you know, would you build the backbone of your tech stack on an outsourced <laughs> help desk, an outsourced no. uh, CAO? No, you, 
otherwise, what's the point of anybody using you? No, there has to be real value to the content, and it's kind of about how you leverage that content. But when I work with people, I'm really trying to get to know the kind of value that they are providing, right? And that's something that we talk a lot about as I work with Nova Backup and their team, that their MSPs can communicate the kind of value they're providing when delivering backup services. I mean, I think most MSPs have some kind of backup offering, whether it's a part of their package or whether it's an individual service, and that the customer understands how much their data is worth, how much their downtime is going to cost them if their business is down and doesn't have access to their data. Totally. I would think every MSP, if you don't have a backup, you're probably not an MSP in my mind. You're a break-fix <laughs> company that charges every month. If, you know, you should have a disaster recovery plan, a full BCDR solution. But yeah, I, I think you actually bring up another, a, a very good point, this idea of communicating value. I've been seeing this trend lately because value is like the hot button word. Value is like this decade's version of the word synergy from the 2000s. <laughs> right. Uh, everybody was always talking. Hey, so I still use it once in a while. <laughs> I date yeah, myself. <laughs> that word is great. And the word is evergreen. Evergreen. That's another word. That's the new one that we, we all say evergreen <laughs> all the time now. But um, of course, like we talk about value a lot because that's sort of the, I feel like the business business marketplace is like 10 to 20 years behind the rest of culture on emotional intelligence. So like we're finally realizing that like people aren't numbers and that people want you know, rather than just like manipulating their brain and making them afraid, why don't you just give them something that's worth buying and then they'll buy it, you know? Um, <laughs> but all that being said, I feel like I've been seeing this trend of people using the word value where they shouldn't be in their messaging because liken it to the word funny. Is there anything less funny than going on stage and telling people, I'm about to tell you a funny joke? Imagine a comic says, I'm about to be really funny for the next 30 minutes. What are you going to do? You're going to sit back in your chair and you're going to go, oh, are you now? <laughs> this jackass thinks he's going to make me laugh. Kind of, kind of setting yourself up for failure there. <laughs> yeah. If you want people to know you're funny, you don't tell them you're funny. What do you do? You say a mm. funny joke. And right. if you want people to know you can provide value, don't go, don't knock on their door and say, can I provide value for you? Ask them a question that's injected with a value-based outcome. A great way to make sure that people understand value is to talk outcomes, like I said, not process. So what is the outcome of having a great BCDR solution? Or conversely, what is the outcome of not having a great BCDR solution, right? And right. if I can make it clear, like you're saying, if I can educate my buyer to the stakes without, I'm not using fear, uncertainty, and doubt, I don't think you should sell using FUD. And frankly, I don't think you have to sell backup using fear. I think it violates people's trust in our branding. But if you can make it clear, like, hey, there are real stakes to doing business right now. And, you know, data releases these awesome reports about how most businesses will be hit with ransomware, more than 50%, right? Oh, yeah. That mm -hmm. means it is, it is unlikely that you won't be hit with ransomware. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. That's another way of saying the same thing. So... That's a statement that's not fear, it's not fear-based, it's reality-based. So now, can we explain to them what, what do they get out of working with somebody who has a premium BCDR solution? What's the outcome? What's their life like? You never have to worry about downtime. 
you never have to worry about this. There's the risk of loss of intellectual property gone. The risk of blah blah blah. You don't have to negotiate with terrorists and all. You know, you know, like <laughs> right. all, take it all the way. Like yeah, no, you're absolutely. You're, what you're saying about trust kind of comes back to the trust relationship. I hate to keep bringing it back to that, but selling with fear as somebody who's supposed to be helping secure and protect your data. That just seems contradictory to me. Like that seems like starting everything off on the wrong foot. I mean, if we look in the news today, I guarantee you, I can find an MSP that was hit with ransomware, right? And and perhaps that ransomware was spread to their customers. So even yeah. if it wasn't spread to the customers, it it affected their access to their data. It put the MSP down for a while. So you've got this whole other level of doubt, right? right from from the customer perspective. For one thing, do I trust these people to help protect my data? And from another perspective, are these people competent <laughs> enough right. with their own security to insulate themselves from outside attack or malevolent forces? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like, they really have to think of us like a partner now because like, you've got their passwords somewhere that could be copied Mm -hmm. Like, do, hey, if are you gonna have all my email passwords? And then if you get hacked, does that mean this hacker now has all my email passwords? Even if we didn't do anything wrong, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you really want to be using fear, uncertainty, and doubt when in reality you might actually be creating some unasked questions about their ability to trust your process? I think that's a next mm -hmm. level insight. Like, not only is it not going to work because it's not a great way to motivate people for long term, major, expensive decisions. But it might actually backfire and make them less likely to trust you with the rest of their tech. Yeah, I think I think that's true. But backup is so easy to sell in my mind. Even if they like, if people don't have backup, they shouldn't need to be explained why they need backup. Well, everybody should understand the threat I think that's out there. But I guess I you got to put yourself in the in the shoes of somebody who's maybe less technical, right? When you're talking about the MSP's actual customer, or they they have a, this kind of false impression that they're more technical than they really are. Um, yeah. I, I remember one of our MSPs talking a little bit about when the MSP walks into a, their first customer meeting and the guy's like, well, I used to be the head of IT and he starts kind of like, trying to position himself as the expert in the room, that's kind of a, a little bit of a red flag for him because it's like, you called me, right? You call, you, you, you asked me to come here because you want my expertise. So allow me to explain to you how I see your, your situation rather than who's got more IT knowledge, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to to you, I guess, um, like you, you're out there, you're offering consulting services to MSPs. Is there anybody that you would call your like ideal customer or anybody that you wouldn't work with when it comes to MSP that's trying to grow? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I will tell you that I actually don't consider red flags to be necessarily a bad thing. I think that finding a red flag creates an opportunity for connection and differentiation in the sales process. Because what you're really trying to do when you're selling a product or a service is you're trying to solve a problem that is bigger than the surface level problem, right? I'll give you an example of 
what I mean. A company calls an MSP, they find them on Yelp and say, hi, I saw your IT company in my area, we're having a problem with our printer. Just wanna know, uh, you know if you guys would be willing to help us out. Now an engineer is gonna hear that, and engineers answer, ask the question, how? That's what they do, right? So an engineer is gonna go, well, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. Well, it's doing this thing. And they're gonna go, okay, well, it's a, uh, it might be a port forwarding issue, or it's actually probably this, or hey, why don't you power cycle it real quick? They're gonna fix that problem on the spot. And that's why engineers right. need sales training, <laughs> because they just, they just took away urgency. <laughs> there was great urgency that totally mm -hmm. could have qualified a meeting, and they got rid of the urgency, and right. then the person leaves, having taken advantage of that MSP and got their free expertise. A salesperson is going to say, okay, your printer's not working, tell me more. Sounds frustrating, how long has that been going on? Now, here's where I'm at. Why does this business not have a solution for printer problems? Right. That's the question I'm interested in. Because there's a root cause of that phone call. They were frustrated enough to pick up a phone. Do you know what that means? They don't have a way of fixing this which means they either don't have right. an MSP or they have an MSP that they can't get results from. Sure. So I'm gonna get in there and ask those questions, okay? So let's say a company, we sit down with an MSP and they go, yeah, I was the former IT person and I'm so great and so smart. As an MSP salesperson, I might say, well, it sounds <laughs> like you've got everything covered. What do you need me for? And I'm not saying that to be, I'm not being condescending or snarky or anything like that. I'm asking them, to look at the problem. Because guess what that guy's problem is? It's himself. That's what everybody's problem in the world is. <laughs> <laughs> Themselves, right? Right. The three questions I always ask during discovery is, what do you need? Why do you need it? And why don't you have it? Right. Right, look, if you're an IT genius, yeah, why great. are you calling MSPs? Well, because of this and this and this. Okay, so it sounds like you actually are not equipped to handle these technical issues. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes, okay, so what's the plan then? What do you need, why do you need it, and why don't you have it? I mean, that's that in itself can really put MSPs in the right direction. That's, those are great questions. That when, you walk away, when you walk away from that first discovery meeting or what have you, right. you should know, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, the why don't you have it question, that's that's the first question that's really worth writing down here. Like, that's the problem we have to solve. Because if their problem is that they're not willing to pay for managed services, guess what? You might not be able to solve that problem. So this might be another person going <laughs> down, putting you through the ringer, and they're just gonna say no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm gonna get into that way before I get into what the problem with the printer is. Who cares what the problem with the printer is? Is it an opportunity for a, a relationship or not? You yeah. know, I, that should be something you can be, be able to determine fairly quickly. Yeah. In that, I would even dare say that is far more value than just telling them to power cycle the printer. You know, because right. MSPs say like, well, I gotta, I gotta demonstrate my expertise so that they'll know that you know we know what we're doing and they'll know that we're qualified and if I solve all their problems up front then they'll we'll build a bunch of trust but the reality is nobody actually cares what you know they don't actually care how smart you are they don't care how many certifications you have unless you can solve their problem so if you come in talking about their problem you're actually going to I call this inheriting trust they're gonna bestow all this trust on you because they want to trust you because they feel like you understand how to fix their problem. Instead right. of making it all about myself, which is really 
oftentimes it's ego talking of me dropping mm-hmm. all the letters after my name. You know, I've done deals with name brand companies, but I don't talk about it with the Feel Good MSP because those name brands weren't MSPs. What difference does it make? <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't support, it doesn't explain to my customers how I can help them. It doesn't explain to MSPs how I can help them. So it would just be me talking about myself. What difference does it make? Nobody cares right. about that unless they know I can help them grow <laughs> their MSP. Yeah, one thing I noticed you were talking about one of the articles that you had written was, like you said, if somebody gives you a call and asks, hey, I need backup. How much is that going to cost me per seat per month? That's, you know, simply replying with a number is not necessarily going to do you justice. And you, I think you were talking a little bit about how you reveal your pricing to a customer, maybe the timing of that. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? I thought that was really interesting at the time that I read it about re- how you reveal your pricing to a customer. Yeah, I think I think you're referring to an article I wrote on for MSP Growth Hacks, right? Right. Absolutely. That's what. That yeah. Was it. So um, the general idea here is it's not that I want to mislead companies, but I think we have to accept the reality that this this business might not be trustworthy with the answer without context. Mm-hmm. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, what you just said, if a company calls me and says, hey, do you have backup and what is it per seat per month? That's an industry specific pricing consumption model, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody said, how much do you charge per seat per month or per device per month? And if they asked me something that says, do you do file-based, image-based or both? Now I know that they have education. Now I don't Absolutely. want to make too many assumptions, like, but what I'm gonna do is ask a question right away and I'm gonna say, it sounds like you've done some research already on backup. And now I'm going to say, so what exactly do you need? Why exactly do you need backup? Why don't you have a backup solution yet? It sounds like you've probably already seen vendors before. I'm gonna get right into right. what do you need, why do you need it, why don't you have it? Because if I give them a number, they've probably already heard a bunch of numbers, but they need backup. Mm-hmm. They are probably splitting hairs right now and then making undereducated decisions about backup based off of price, which is such a trivial element when you really think about the value of a, a good BCDR solution versus a bad one. Well, numbers not number is not going to tell the story anyways, right? No, and it, it, yeah, especially with something that says nuanced as backup, it's like, well, I don't know what you, I don't know what backup means to you. What does backup mean to you? What are you asking me for? Right. Are you asking me for an active active mm-hmm. environment? You know. Are you act? What are you What are you asking me for? Are you asking me for an external hard drive that you take home in your pickup every night? Because <laughs> yeah. you, what you think backup means is going to determine what that number means to you. So if somebody is demonstrating, especially market expertise, I would say they are going to do the classic fake take and escape. By that's the buyer's process. They lie to you and then they take all your information and then they run away and you never hear from them again. And I'm not interested right. in being my all of my industry knowledge being squeezed out of me really for nothing in return. So I'm going to I'm going to answer that question with a question. If they continue on to say I really right. just need a number uh, depending on the environment, I might just say, "Okay, it sounds like we're probably not a good fit then." Cuz do you really right. want to do business with that person? But the way in general, the, I think to, to answer the broader question you asked is I like to give people the constant our pricing in phases in piece in one bite at a time. First, I had to sell them on the consumption mm-hmm. model, right? There's break fix IT and then there's proactive managed IT. We do fixed monthly billing. We, we got to get them to swallow the pill that they're going to pay us every month first. Then they're going to go, well, how much mm-hmm. is it? 
And I go, I don't, I don't frankly know yet. And truthfully, if I did know, I probably wouldn't tell you yet because right. I don't know anything about your environment. I got to come on site. Then I'm going to book my on-site consultation and I'm going to now sell them. I'm going to explain a little bit more of the monthly fixed monthly. Hey, it might be a, if I use a device or per user or a per site, whatever your model is, get them to understand why you charge what you charge. Then I'm going to do another call before the presentation. They have to have heard a bookend of my price, right? It's between a thousand and right. three thousand right. a month or something like that. Depending on how you mm -hmm. run your sales process, that might be on site or another call afterwards. But I'm going to get them to swallow my price in at least three bites. The consumption model first, the price range second, and then the final number third. So that when they see the price and they say that's expensive, I'm allowed to say, what do you mean? At, at that point, they've, they should have enough understanding about what you're offering and, and what they can expect to where it shouldn't be a total shock for them at that point, I would imagine. Right, that's the idea. It's, it's a bunch of great information you've given us. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Maybe you could uh, let our listeners know how they could get a hold of you or reach out to you if they're an MSP perhaps who would like to inquire about your consulting and so forth. Yeah, well, I'd say uh, the absolute best way to really uh, start to build a relationship with me would be to, to add me on LinkedIn, you know, Brian Gillette with the Feel Good MSP, Gillette, mm -hmm. just like the Razor. That would be the absolute <laughs> best way um, to find me. You can go to feelgoodmsp.com to either learn about sort of my program and how I help low seven-figure MSPs um, start booking multiple MRR clients a month in 90 days, or you might be able to learn about my upcoming workshop. I run a workshop almost every single month and they're usually very, very specific, right? How to do one very specific piece mm. of the sales or marketing process where I run small groups of MSPs in a live call that's interactive through, uh, you know, I just ran one this week. Yesterday, we spent 20 minutes going fold by fold on somebody's website where I was kind of coaching their messaging and having them, helping them transition it to something mm -hmm. that could convert. So uh, a, a workshop or the 90 day program would by far be the best. You can always email me directly at B-R-I-A-N at feelgoodmsp.com and let me know if you'd like to hear more. Sounds great, Brian. Well, I think what you're doing is great. Uh, you're, you're spreading a lot of great information out to MSPs and getting MSPs together and getting them to think about on a kind of a deeper level how they can get their message across to prospects in such a way that it's going to benefit them, increase sales, and um, think it's great stuff. So keep up the good work. I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much. Happy to be here. I love what you're doing with the podcast. Keep doing your thing. Everybody, uh, <laughs> selling should be a feel-good experience. You have what it takes to sell. You have what it takes to grow your managed service business. Keep getting help from people like Sean, and uh, together we will uh, we'll help those 60% of businesses by 2025. Let's go out there and capture them all. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. Thanks for listening to MSP Survivalist. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes and we hope to keep bringing you content that's going to help you succeed as a managed service provider. 